get behind me, Satan, is maybe the most surreal moment in the gospel stories. If Jesus ever did curse, this probably would have been it. However, I think in the flashiness of this whole shebang that Jesus gives Peter, I have often missed what the actual rebuke is. If you get past the use of Satan and listen closely, you might come to understand that Jesus, frustrated as he is, primarily wants Peter to stop being so Peter and just get out of the gosh darn way and let Jesus do what Jesus needs to do. Peter, in this moment, is justifiably concerned that his beloved friend and teacher has just told him that he is going to suffer and die. And Peter, justifiably, is trying to get Jesus to not do that. As much as I may hate to say it, Peter is deeply relatable in this moment. I would wager that there are few among us who would not react in a similar way given a similar situation. I think many of us are very Peter-like in our rashness, in our rush to be close to God, but I think an unexpected way in which we as people are like Peter is in how much we can get in God's way. How often we can plant ourselves squarely in the way of God's plan. In Peter's case 2,000 years ago, he planted himself in the way of the physical Jesus. In our case, I suspect we are more metaphysically putting ourselves in God's way. Recently, I have found myself in God's way in my own life. The realization began because I was feeling generally restless, frazzled, and feeling discombobulated in my spiritual life. After some careful evaluation of how I was going about my day, my week, and my life, it dawned on me. I realized, likely to no one's surprise, that my phone was the culprit. <laughs> I was spending a lot of my leisure time throughout my day scrolling through silly cat videos and the like. It was essentially the first thing I did in the morning, uh, thing I did often throughout the day, and the thing I did as I was falling asleep. As a disclaimer, I actually did other stuff. Um, I have a life and whatnot, but you get the idea of what I'm trying to say. So I decided at least to try and get out of God's way, to try and put down my gosh darn phone. I promised myself to this end that I would at least refrain from opening any apps on my phone before breakfast. At first, this was harder than even I expected. It is just wonderful to begin your day with silly cat videos and the like, and equally tempting to check your email and grades as soon as you are conscious if you're a student like me. Or it was just easier to sit and check Facebook than it is to actually start your day. But I report to you that I have made it about a month with this new practice. It has gotten a little easier with each passing day, and I actually more or less feel securely out of God's way in my life. Returning to the second part of our gospel today, Jesus, even in his moments of fire rebuke where he calls his disciples Satan, is not without his pastoral nature and teaching. After the shocking and fiery line he delivers down on Peter, he helpfully redirects him, much like a parent or babysitter might redirect undesirable behavior. After telling Peter and the like to go sit in the corner and think about what they've done to get out of the way, he gives Peter an 
and company a behavior that is more becoming for disciples and followers of Christ. He tells Peter and the assembled company to take up their crosses and follow him. And here we come to the very Lenten part of the story. Like many of you, the motif of taking up a cross is one I have often heard when discussing Lenten disciplines. And in my experience so far, taking up your cross in Lent can mean anything from volunteering one's time at a soup kitchen, to giving up chocolate, to being nicer to your siblings, or even a new exercise routine. However, in light of reading this story, I wonder how many people take up their cross before they actually take the proper time to do the first part of the story and get out of God's way in their life. I wonder how many people simply decide that one thing is bad for them or another thing good or another thing just even difficult and just commit to that giving up that thing for Lent. I wonder if people allow themselves to get out of God's way in their life and let God take the lead on where they are going when they take up their cross. Here, I will confess, I have not actually taken up a Lenten practice. In the week or so leading up to Lent, I had thought off and on about taking one up. Then school assignments built up as they do. I was preparing for the Episcopal 101 class and life just got busy. All of a sudden it was Ash Wednesday and I still didn't have one. And though I will say a good number of great Christians do not actually observe that practice and giving up something for Lent. So I feel in good company here. Although I will say if I was truly pressed in some way to answer for what I was giving up for Lent, I suppose I would say I'm giving up my phone in the morning and by extension my Lenten practice is to try and continue to stay out of God's way in my life. So far, it's been working very well. I feel more present throughout the day. I have begun journaling again, which is an underrated contemplative practice if you ask me. And I feel more connected, more connected to God throughout my day and generally less frazzled. However, I have a second confession to make. Even in this Lenten discipline, that isn't really a Lenten discipline of mine. I have failed. I have dropped my cross that I have taken up. There was one day last week where some wire got crossed in the noggin and I found myself watching one of the many silly cat videos that my friend had sent me. Before I knew it, I was checking my emails, checking my texts, checking grades, and scrolling through Facebook and Instagram. All of the usual milieu of things that are fun to do so you can delay getting started with your day just that much longer. I will say upon remembering my Lenten practice that I had taken up, sort of, I did nearly throw my phone across the room and recoil in shock. Besides throwing your phone away, it's hard to know what to do when you drop your cross. Or more broadly, when, what to do when we fail at being good human beings, which is really what taking up a cross is meant to be. And here, I turn to Paul's words to us this morning. Paul, in a general sense, is theologizing about Abraham, what it was about Abraham that was so cool and special that God chose him, and is furthermore bringing it into his own time as a person who lived centuries after what he was writing about. And he comes to a conclusion that might be startling. 
he comes to the conclusion that it was not that Abraham was some upright man who followed every law and rule set out before him. It was that Abraham had faith when God told him something impossibly good was going to happen to him. In other words, it was not that Abraham never dropped the cross that he took up. It was that Abraham loved God and did his best to live out that love. So right now, there is good news and bad news. The bad news in my reading of these texts is that if you drop your cross, the only way to make it better is to take up your cross again. The good news is that if you drop your cross, God does not hate you, and you can pick up your cross again when you are ready. Just as Paul lays out in the first part of our reading today, we are not beloved of God because we are stringent rule followers who are perfect. If that were true, then faith would be pointless. Rather, we are beloved of God because it is in God's nature to love God's people. In the spirit of this, or with this notion, my commission to you, should you choose to take it, is to get out of God's way in your life, however you think you are able to. After you are securely out of God's way and letting God lead, see what cross he is inviting you to take up. It can be a big one or a small one or a different one than you have been carrying, or maybe you don't know yet. But if and when you do pick up your cross, because you are human, you will inevitably drop it. When you drop it, pick it back up, dust it off, glue it back together if you must, and try again. In the name of the one who loved us first. Amen. Amen.